Hello, my name is Ben Walker and you're listening to the Theories of Change podcast hosted by IMC Worldwide. I'm a senior consultant here in communications and we're going to be talking about innovation today with two lovely guests. I've got my esteemed colleague Boyan, who's a principal consultant and project manager of the Frontier Technology Livestreaming Program and gets to sit behind me. He's very lucky. How are you doing, Boyan? I'm doing well, Ben. Thank you. And also, we're joined by Lee. Now, Lee Simpson is a business leader, a trained coach, and a tech optimist with experience in brand technology, commerce, and design thinking, and is the founder of the consultancy Brink. That was only launched just recently. Congratulations. Hi, Ben. Good to be here. Thank you, Ben. Now, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking today about innovation and how it's being applied in development, but at a very broad level, and I'm throwing this out to both of you, how would you define innovation? For me, I always define it very simply. It's about doing something better. Yeah, and I would I would say that if ever you're there are kind of two problems and two kinds of solutions in the world as I see it. There there is the 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 problem that you know how to fix or or the solution that you know where you really need to just manage well and manage the execution of that solution really well. And then there is a whole subset of work and problems that are kind of more emergent where you kind of have an inkling that there's a better way of doing things and you need to figure out how. And an innovation process is a way of navigating um, that uncertainty and, and that potential. So specifically in international development, how is the application of innovation different? Ooh, that's a, that's a very, very big question. Um, I think it's important to distinguish, I guess, two areas of innovation because innovation is, is, is really cross-cutting, right? One can innovate in a lot of different fields. So international development is then broken down into anything from infrastructure to private sector development, health, particular frontier technology, live streaming works in technology innovation. Um, so there is innovation that kind of cuts across all those fields and then there's also focus on innovation uh, specifically. How long has it been around the development space? Actually off the top of my head I can't say with great precision but we do joke in this sector that we are about six months behind the private sector in terms of whatever it is that ends up being trendy. So when is it, what about is it that you could probably say, when was it that innovation became trendy in the private sector? Add six months to that, and that's probably when it became something big in the international development sector. As people, so what, is, what would you see are the potential sort of drawbacks or limitations with using innovation in international development? Is there a problem of sort of like displacing like local markets? Is there a problem of like spend, using a technology for the sake of using it? Is it efficient? Is it effective in helping sort of in developing countries? Is it, um, is it the right thing to be doing? Is the technology, are we using the technology just for technology's sake? So I, there are a couple of things in there which I'm going to try and unpack and then let Boyan fill in any blanks that I may have left. I think, you know, first of all, you've, you, there's the application of innovation and like anything else when it's not properly thought through um, and, it's, and it is used just as a trend, it can be very dangerous and it can be very dangerous across a number of different sectors. Um, I, you know, at its worst, it's the misappropriation of language, of the language from innovation, things like failing fast, being misused and actually just meaning failing um, that I see, you know, it's not necessarily a misuse of innovation, but it's a kind of um, making poor use of the fact that innovation might be a trend in some sectors, um, which is definitely a potential pitfall. So I don't know that that's a pitfall of innovation so much as a pitfall of you know poorly using the language and not being thoughtful about its application. 
Um, on the use of technology, I'm really pleased you asked that question because as the team leader of Frontier Technology live streaming, of course, one of the things that we're very cautious of is, you know, inventing hammers that are looking for nails or, or working on technology for the sake of it. So we're very, very um, and careful and very thoughtful about making sure that the technology we're exploring is linked directly to very measurable, small um, um, steps and um, and linked to impact overall. Uh, but one of the things that I'm seeing that's actually counterintuitive and quite lovely about thinking about frontier technology as a solution to development challenges is that it really works to capture people's imaginations and, and help them bust out of seemingly intractable problems. Uh, it gives them a real kind of um, a real kind of jolt of inspiration to start thinking about something that they've often been grappling with for some time in a very, very different way. Um, and, you know, what we're finding is like often the application of these technologies doesn't end up being used in the way that people first imagined. But when you start thinking about things like how 3D printing might overcome supply chain challenges, it does capture your imagination and allow you to think very, um, very differently about a, a kind of a long-standing issue. I would add that, um, you know, in terms of in terms of bringing innovation or sort of practices and in innovation in 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 the private sector, I think there's they have to be able to and, and international development. The two things have to be able to talk to one another, and I think going in one direction where by say on frontier technology live streaming we follow approaches that are sort of proven in the tech sector and proven in the private sector, but what what we found and what I've found. Um, on another project that I work on is really the important thing is when you take the approach and methodologies from the private sector, they have to be maybe respectful isn't the right word for it, but it is the first thing that comes to mind when it comes into international development. And, and, and it's for two reasons. One, international development is sometimes it's working on very serious issues that impact people's lives. Um, so innovating just for the sake of innovating or using a technologies for the sake of using a technology can actually be really irresponsible. Mm -hmm. And another thing that it has to be respectful of is the fact that we, you know, especially when we work on donor projects like those for the Department for International Development or any international organization, is that this is taxpayer money mm. at, at the end of the day. And that do you, th do you think that's why they're sort of, to the development space is sort of reticent to sort of use it, like always like fund a lot of these sort of projects and it does come from like the private sector? Well, and I was actually, I was, and I was, and I was coming to that yeah. is actually, so when, when, you know, and then when the international development sector welcomes these approaches and methodologies, it has to try to genuinely be open mm. to actually applying those. So as long as the two talk to one another and are in constant dialogue and are willing to work together to overcome some of those challenges that happen at that intersection of innovation and international development, then then it can work. Mm. But I agree with Lee. It's it's just technologies for the sake of applying certain technologies or innovation for the sake of innovation can just be, well, irresponsible in the wrong context. Especially in a high stakes context, you're quite right. Yeah. So do you think that innovation, on the sort of the more positive thing, do you think that innovation can deliver sort of these, a good value sort of for, for clients and stuff like that for, and for beneficiaries, obviously? Um, is that is that something that that you've seen in recent times or do you think like the development space is still new to this? I mean, we're see I think we're seeing it all over our projects just to begin with, for mm. sure, on Frontier Technology live streaming. Um, but it's also, it's, it's not just necessarily the, the innovations as, uh, as individual um, 
potential programs that would lead to impact. But the innovation methods, I think, are really useful overall because they do offer a way to be incredibly accountable and measurable in taking small bets into an emergent opportunity. And, you know, my gut is that we're only just beginning to see um, the, the early potential that these kinds of innovation methods have in the sector. And there's a really burgeoning kind of school of thought around lean impact, which is methodology that is um, that is really adapted from the world of lean startup and thinking about how we might apply this kind of build, measure, learn, kind of creating very, very small tests into, into new spaces. Um, and I think that's going to be applied and can be applied very broadly um, mm. to, to, to huge impact. Mm. I, I, and I think to some degree that um, the international development community has an obligation to really try to innovate. I mean, in particular, when it comes to our project, which focuses on technology, one could argue, and I would argue, that no single thing has had a bigger impact on the evolution of uh, on evolution generally than just technology, mm. right? Nothing can be more groundbreaking or potentially change people's lives. Mm. And the way a lot of that starts is through through innovation, through taking some of these small bets, doing some of these mm. small tests, because yes, that is, that is how the really, really big impact can be delivered. Mm. So I think is the methodologies that sort of the innovation space uses, is that markedly different from what development community uses now? Like maybe that you would know more about that, Boyan, mm -hmm. like in the sense of like the way the methodologies have always worked in sort of bigger sort of donor programs, is that a lot different to what sort of the innovation space, say for FTL, mm -hmm. is using now? Like what do you see as the major difference? Is it just that failing fast kind of mentality or yeah, is that phrase, Leo? <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's a good phrase when used appropriately and well. When, 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 yeah, <laughs> when, when, yeah, when applied appropriately, it's absolutely, it's absolutely yeah. fine. So the methodology that we've, that we've developed for this program is to allow innovators to um, get out of the building, so to speak, and to actually get out there and to start um, piloting and working with some of these technologies in the field and actually um, helping them uh, confirm, refute, or qualify their key assumptions which underline their project ideas. So the methodology that we're using is much more focused on getting out there and, and, and doing while maintaining a, you know, a good level of oversight and governance, um, a level of oversight and governance that should come when, when public capital is spent. So do you think um, sort of for this sort of frontier technology program that you're sort of working on at the moment, we've sort of talked around it a little bit. What does that actually involve in terms of bringing sort of these innovation ideas into international development and trying to apply these technologies for development challenges? So first of all, um, Frontier Technology live streaming is an internal call inside DFID and um, we do a call every six months to invite DFID staff in 28 countries to think about problems that they'd like to tackle using Frontier technologies like drones, Internet of Things, blockchain. Um, and so on. And so the, the ideas come from the different advisors and, and often from partners or people that, they're, that they know in country. Um, they then get uh, brought down to a short list and then invited to a Dragon's Den where five 
projects are selected per call with a view to support 15 calls. And so when these problems come to us or when these solutions and ideas come to us, they're often very big and bold and um, and very exciting. And, you know, you can have a look at our, our, our Medium blog where we post information and updates on, on each of our projects to get a flavor of the kinds of problems that we're, tra- we're tackling. But, you know, we are trying to overcome supply chain challenges with 3D printers. We're using uh, blockchain for humanitarian supply. We have a great deal of other um, really wonderful infrastructure projects like the supply of water in Tanzania, machine learning, and and I could go on. Um, And the, the methodology that we use across all of them is actually quite simple. It's firstly to get very real and very clear on what we know and where the evidence is versus what we're assuming makes this idea good and how we might begin to validate that assumption. Um, and so we work with our teams to, to note each one of the assumptions or beliefs in the project and think about ways that we can test the most critical of those assumptions. So we have a lot of conversations you know, with the teams and thinking about you know, if there's one assumption that is invalidated. And if that assumption was invalidated, the whole project would be uh, blown to smithereens. Or which one is it? And then we start to validate or invalidate it from the off. And the thing that I think is interesting about this approach is that it's different to human-centered design and other um, innovation methods that I think are more well-known in the sector, where it's not just focused on the end user or um, user testing necessarily, but really is focusing on the most critical assumption. And sometimes that is, you know, if we're trying to influence a, a bigger program or a government, we try and make sure that there is room for that influence to actually happen. And um, and there's, you know, again, another school of thought that's emerging, calling that uh, lean collaboration with local governments. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that way, it's, it's, it's slightly novel and a little bit different to the classic innov- innovation methods. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we set to test and validate. And if we invalidate the assumption, we course correct. Mm-hmm. We think, you know, how can we use what we've learned to do something really smart in the mm-hmm. next sprint of work? And if we validate it, we, we keep building on it. And we even leave ourselves room to uh, to discontinue pilots. Yeah. Um, so if Lee mentioned that example, yeah. if there's one critical assumption, uh, which has to be proven a certain way in order for the pilot to make any sense at all to keep continue mm-hmm. to continue forward, and if that is uh, invalidated, then then we then we just discontinue the project. Yeah. And that's also that's also really responsible way I think mm. of innovating so mm. we work we work in we work in sprints um, yeah. they're the smallest batches of work that create a feedback loop and allow us to test certain assumptions so uh, the bets are always small they're they're literally as small as we can make them and then at the end of each sprint we decide should we you know should we keep going should we persevere keep going down the same path pivot change direction or exit if we don't see a way to um, if we don't see a viable way forward for the pilot, which is a real, I think, rational and responsible way. Yeah, and that that room to pivot, I think, is the really important thing. So at the yeah. end of each sprint, we ask, um, you know, what was supposed to happen, what actually happened, why was there a difference, and what should we do next? Mm-hmm. And so that means if something has been invalidated, but along the course of that uh, that piece of work. 
there's been a serendipitous opportunity or something new mm. that's come mm. along that actually would be a much smarter application or a smarter route. Mm. Uh, the teams are at liberty to do that. So it's a much more sort of real-time monitoring and it's sort of thing. And it's very real. You know, like, yeah. like Boyan's already said, this is, this is all about getting real, getting into the field, getting close to the problem, close to the end users and beneficiaries, mm. and not hypothesizing, you know, from, from your desk, mm. um, but really seeing what the real world, how the real world responds to your ideas. Do you, have, do you have to sort of like push back on a lot of people that just go, oh, they come in with say, oh, I want to use this cool idea and then just go like, no, nah, that's just not <laughs> happening really. <laughs> on, on the contrary, you know, we think they've got cool ideas and their inclination because, because it's scary, you know, innovation mm. is scary and you are kind of stumbling into the mist a little bit. Ask Boyan. It's scary. So what we usually find ourselves doing is actually giving people the confidence to go and try because when people are nervous and there's mm. uncertainty, their inclination is to sit at their desks and plan things and research things. And all the planning and research in the world can't replace or give you anywhere near the same level of wisdom and insight into as actually just going and seeing. So we work to really give them confidence to take a very small step forward into the field to actually try some of these things. But but from the beginning, so when we assess which pilots we're going to support and then how we're going to interact with them throughout the life of the pilot, we do also want to, I mean, so we're a relatively small uh, grant program. Yeah. In, in the big scheme of things for each for each pilot and the idea is have them from the very beginning thinking about okay so what with this pilot at the end of it so say we we take your pilot idea everything everything just goes swimmingly it's all a great success mm-hmm. then what how will you scale this how will you replicate it mm-hmm. who's going to come along who's who's watching you what are you trying to prove to whoever might be watching you and thinking about taking the next step with your pilot mm. and how are you going to do that mm. and we really look for that from the beginning and ask for the pilots to look from that from the beginning and always peg back to think about that each time we have a moment of reflection what what are you guys excited about in this um in this space for in the future um sort of what trends do you see happening that in terms of innovation and development? I guess we are on the frontier, are we not? (laughs) I I think so. I mean, personally, I'm really excited about this emerging kind of school of thought around lean impact and the potential that it could have broadly Mm. to the sector. And, you know, the the kind of, the sense that it's gaining critical mass and clearer definition Mm. um, means that there is a a kind of tool of, a kit of tools that's going to be more available to more practitioners. And the more practitioners that are working in this way, the more that toolkit can be enhanced, uh, which I think will benefit everyone. I'm I'm, I'm excited just... For, uh, for our pilots, actually. I see, especially a few of them, when one really wraps their head around it or sees some of it, like I have in the field, and you see it, it's explained to you, or you see it working, and you say, okay, this this should be it. Game-changing stuff. Yeah, game-changing stuff. What Whatever this pilot, pilot A, is mm. doing should be the way that it's done, or yeah. everybody should be looking at this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that we are... Um, it's an incredible privilege actually to be working on things that feel in that way they feel Mm. like threshold technologies Mm. you know technologies Mm. that change our idea of what good looks like Mm. Um, and I I agree I think we're only just starting to see some of the impact of those 
it's very exciting. Yeah. And it's and it's it's um, fascinating to see that some of these some of these technologies we look at really could be what they call leapfrog technology. Mm. So to give you a very simple example, somebody told me in Mozambique, somebody from Diffid in Mozambique, they're like, you know, um, with everything that happened around the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, they didn't have certain centralized telephone lines, for example. And then mobile phones came along and they realized they just don't need them anymore. Yeah. Right? So why why even have ground lines if mobile phones are... I don't, I don't have one. <laughs> a lot of us, and a lot, I don't have one either, and a lot of us in the developed world don't. But, yeah. you know, now you say, okay, well, why do you need, why do you need central telephone lines? Why do you need ground yeah. lines? Just everybody can go mobile. That's yeah, right. I mean, that's really exciting. It's like yeah. also thinking about what are the developing markets doing today that us in the West might be doing, you know, in the same mm. way that... Um, you know, certain countries in Africa were mobile banking way before we were. Yeah. And when I look at projects that we're working on, like with solar uh, and thinking about how we're pairing solar with smart algorithms, I think, well, mm. actually, we could probably use some of that in England, if I'm honest. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes you just don't have the vested interests in the existing infrastructure that allows mm. something new to come in on top of it. Yeah. So I um, read an article a few months ago about blockchain being used in the public sector. What is blockchain? Blockchain. <laughs> uh, that's a whole other we'll, we'll, put a, we'll put a link to that's, it in the show notes if we find a good explanation. That's a whole other podcast, I think. Um, about how, so the article was about how a lot of governments in the former um, Commonwealth of Independent States, CIS, so a lot of the former Soviet Union countries, they're able to use blockchain for various ends in the public sector because a lot of the systems that blockchain might have to come on top of or next to in the UK simply don't exist. Don't exist. Yeah. So it's just easier. You know, you have a blank slate and off you go. And you can experiment and who knows, now countries like the Estonias of the world might just leapfrog ahead yeah. of the UK yeah, in certain quite. elements. Good old Estonia. Always thought it was going to be them. <laughs> smart money is on Estonia. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. That was really, really great. If you want to learn more about Frontier Technology live streaming, you can search for it on Medium. I won't give you the URL. I trust you, the audience, to find it. You seem techie people. Um, thank you very much to Boyan. Thank you very much to Lee. Hope you had a wonderful time talking about innovation and development. And then thank you for listening to Theories of Change. Great. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Ben. This was fun.